Hello, and welcome to the Walk Around Podcast, powered by JMA Group. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. Our goal is to share actionable insights, trends, leadership principles that are influencing the retail automotive landscape today. I am one of your hosts, Mark Spoto, alongside Elliot Shore. Hello. And our guest today is Eric Watson. He is Vice President of Sales Operations for Kia America. Eric oversees the company's national and regional sales functions in the U.S. And prior to joining Kia in December 2017 as the Director of Field Operations, Eric has held various leadership roles in sales and marketing with Ford, Jaguar, Land Rover, and Mazda. You know, Elliot, Eric, of course, brings so much perspective in terms of his role and his view on the industry, but I think it's really interesting to hear Kia's excitement around EV. Yeah, you know, Kia, one of the first manufacturers to step in the EV game. And, uh, you know, it's really cool to see Kia's evolution and how they've, uh, the brand and, and how it's evolved into this cool brand it is today. So yeah. I think we're going to learn a lot from Eric. Yeah, this was a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Let's take a walk around with Eric Watson. Well, welcome, Eric. We are thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining us on the walk around. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to see you there. Great to see that new Kia logo behind you, that beautiful building, you know, and I think right off the bat, I think one of the things, you know, Mark and I were talking about, Kia really is just on fire. I mean, in so many ways, I mean, the product has never been better and uh, just great momentum, uh, you know, coming off of a great Super Bowl ad. And, you know, we just got to ask you, you know, you've been in the car business a long time. Does it get better than this? You know, you're right. I, I've, I've done this for 25 years across a couple of manufacturers, and I've been at Kia for four years. And this is about as good as it gets. I mean, the last uh, four years, we've had some great product introductions uh, from Telluride to our uh, K5 Sorento. Uh, and recently, we just launched our EV6 and our brand new Sportage. And the product hits just keep coming. And uh, obviously, the industry is very good right now, too. A lot of demand, a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, so there's a very bright future, I think, for Kia. You know, the other thing Ellie and I were talking about is Kia has really upped its cool factor. Absolutely. You know, when you think about the Super Bowl ad that you just mentioned, the reveal with the drones, that was fantastic. Uh, the partnerships that you guys are doing, in particular with the NBA. Just talk a little bit about the branding strategy and how that all that plays yeah, into you know, where you're headed. And it's like... You know, I think most OEMs, they want to be cool, right? right? And they go over the top to try and be cool. But you guys have kind of actually become cool in a cool way. Is that an intentional strategy? You know, what? how does the brand strategy come along like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a journey. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are recognizing it. It is becoming a very fun brand. Um, it starts with the product. The product renaissance has really driven that. Uh, but Elliot, you mentioned earlier the logo that's uh, on the building behind me. I mean, that was a significant change, really marked Huge. a new direction for the company and where we're headed. So all of our cars now on our dealerships lots have this new logo. And we're revamping our facilities across the nation uh, to carry that same logo and have a different look and feel. But the brand is fun. I mean, we really intentionally positioned our cars as sporty and fun. We positioned our SUVs as capable and rugged. And the product matches and the capability of the vehicles really matches that positioning. 
And it is becoming fun. It's a fun brand to work with at our dealerships. People want to work at a Kia dealer now. Right. Our retention of keeping people uh, at our dealerships is high because it's a hot brand. Yeah, so you it's know, been, it's, funny. it's been good. It's funny you mention that. We we see that all the time with, you know, with F&I managers. I mean, you know, we're in the F&I business and um, it's challenging for some of the second tier, third tier brands to get good talent. And yeah. so, you know, as you said, you know, associates want to work at Kia stores. There's volume, there's cool products, there's, you know, great customers coming in the door. How has that translated to dealer profits? Yeah, I mean, really the fundamentals of the Kia business and what's happening for our dealers has been very good. For many years, Kia lagged behind the mass market averages for dealership return on sales. Um, and that's completely changed. Over the last few years, Kia's in a more dominant position now. We're actually doing better than the average brands in the industry on profitability. Um, and our dealers recognize it, they feel it. We've had a lot of buy-sell activity um, right. that's been happening across the industry, but we're attracting a different type of dealer um, and different type of employees at the dealership. And so the brand is really evolving and changing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned product as kind of the core element of what's been this renaissance for, for Kia. And let's talk a bit about just the EV lineup yeah. and how that is growing in terms of Kia's position. Yeah. I'm not sure many of our listeners may know, but Kia was kind of out in front of this, uh, one of the first right. manufacturers. With the with, Nero. With the Nero. The Nero came out, How long? it's been out for over a decade, I, I believe. Well, I, I, actually, so the Kia Soul was our first entry into electric cars. That oh, was 10 okay. plus years ago, right? And, you know, it was a 99 mile range, 100 mile range uh, EV. And that was kind of when everyone was going to it. And uh, we kept that in our product portfolio for seven or eight years. Uh, Nero's been out in its electric vehicle for about four or five years. Um, so we do, we have an established track record and history of selling EVs and servicing EVs at our dealers. Uh, it's been really fun to watch this evolution. So the Nero, you know, really has started to pick up in sales, I think helped by gas prices and what's happening. Sure. But the EV6 is really changing uh, the position of the Kia brand. So an interesting fact, in the first quarter of this year, Kia was the second best EV selling brand in the industry behind Tesla. Wow. And it was really driven by the launch of our EV6. And then uh, we've been selling about a thousand Nero EVs a month as well. So uh, really a great start for where we're headed in our electric future. So, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you hear a lot in the industry and Kia kind of flies under the radar with regards to EVs. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. But, you know, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the barriers to EV. Um, and I'm sure you guys have studied the consumer on this and the things like range anxiety and and, um, you know, infrastructure and, you know, just technology concerns. Do you see those concerns shifting now as it becomes a bit more mainstream? And have you guys been able to prepare your your teams for that shift? Yeah, you know, the last couple of months, EV sales have been almost 6% of total industry sales. So it's not the 1% or 2% it had been a few years ago. So it's becoming a bigger part of how the auto industry is going to be shaped and, and what we're going to do. Our dealerships are ready. So over the last year and a half, we've really installed uh, chargers and made sure they have the tools and equipment to service EV vehicles. There are still issues with the infrastructure and what's happening across the industry. I'm, I'm driving an EV6 for the last couple of weeks, but I don't have a charger installed in my home yet. 
Oh, um, wow. So trying to scramble to find the right chargers in my neighborhood, or uh, fortunately we do have some in the office, so uh, <laughs> it's been easy there. But uh, certainly the infrastructure needs to be built out for mass adoption. I think it's going to be really easy for people that have a home with a garage where you can charge it at night. But for those that live in multifamily dwellings or those who live in apartments or high-rise buildings in major cities, uh, there's a lot of development that still needs to happen with the infrastructure. For us to go from, you know, the 6% we are today, I think the first move to maybe, you know, 20% of the industry might be pretty easy. But as you get there, there's going to be some roadblocks moving the industry higher. So, Eric, what, what do you think about in terms of the price point for consumers you know, some of the studies you see, by and large, most consumers are very satisfied with their EV purchase. But, yeah. you know, some stats have shown about 50% are only willing to pay a few hundred dollars premium. Do you think that's a roadblock? Is that something that dealers will have to contend with as more EVs enter the market? Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, you know, always when technology comes out, it's kind of adopted at the high end first. So a lot of the EVs today are pretty expensive. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on costs. The batteries are very expensive. The safety technology going into cars is very expensive, but that'll come down. Every Everybody will start to introduce EVs at lower and lower price points. Uh, hopefully there's some breakthroughs in the cost of those batteries and we'll see it come down. Uh, but certainly for the next couple of years, uh, EVs are gonna be a premium product uh, at a premium price position. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I like what you said in there, uh, you know, just going back a minute, I, you know, cause we talked to a lot of people and, you don't hear about that's a great pragmatic nuance to EV adoption around multiple housing, multiple housing dwellings, an apartment building. Yep. How do you charge your EV when sure. you don't own your parking spot? Right. right. And so much of this country is built in cities, in multiple housing dwellings. And so you think about places like Los Angeles, uh, New York, uh, Chicago, and you really wonder that. I think that's a, just a tremendous insight about how, how do we overcome that? I mean, is there technology on the horizon that can enable those types of dwellings? Or is that this going to be a challenge you think that'll persist? Well, I, I think in cities you mentioned of New York and Chicago and others, parking's already an issue in and of itself, right? right. Um, out here in uh, Southern California, where you've got a little more master planned communities, some of the big apartment communities are planning and are working with uh, third-party companies to put in massive electric charging vehicle infrastructure into their apartment buildings or their parking structures. Um, but I do think, you know, fast charging is one way to overcome this. So if you can go to an area and you can charge your vehicle in uh, 15 to 20 minutes, that's not much longer than your typical visit to a gas station by the time you go in and get your cup of coffee and fill your tank and uh, use your re the restroom, whatever you have to do. So uh, fast charging will help. Being able to build out the infrastructure in those uh, apartment communities uh, will also help. So from an EV perspective, you know, what's next on the horizon for Kia? Yeah, I mean, Kia, we introduced really probably about two years ago, uh, what we call Plan S, and it's a transformation of our company to be, uh, you know, a leading provider of mobility solutions. And that transformation is happening now, right? With the Nero EV that we already sell, we introduced the EV6. Most of our vehicles are starting to get a hybrid variants to them. So our new Sportage that we came out with has a hybrid and a plug-in hybrid. And we've committed to launch uh, one new electric vehicle every year moving wow. forward. And I think I think we'll have it in, in the traditional segments we compete in. So really, 
the future over the next couple of months is going to be, or the next couple of years, we're going to keep um, selling all of our great gasoline powered cars that we've become known for with Telluride and Sorento and our sure. Fortes. And we'll start to layer on top of and attract new customers to the brand with the EVs that we're launching. Uh, so it's going to be exciting, exciting couple of years as we make this transition between gas powered to electric powered vehicles. Yeah, very pragmatic approach. For sounds sure. like from Kia. Yeah. Again, uh, we're talking with Eric Watson, Vice President of Sales Operations for Kia America, and we're talking EVs right now. And, you know, with those EVs and, you know, looking at the marketplace, you kind of see some other manufacturers trying to take a step closer to retail with the introduction of EVs. Yeah. And I know that, you know, from talking to some Kia dealers that, that, that they haven't experienced that, but I'm curious, Eric, is that something you see a, a direction that you see Kia going into? You know, there, there's been a lot of disruption in the industry around the direct sales model to consumers. So a lot of the new entrants, the electric vehicle startups, your Teslas, your Rivians, your Lucids, uh, they are trying to go to market with a direct consumer model. Kia, we believe our dealers can and are our competitive advantage, and we're going to continue to work through them. So the programs that we're developing today and our future where we're looking to go uh, really is centered around our dealers. And I think, you know, digital retailing will become more important. We've got almost 75% of our dealers today that are using digital retail tools, allowing the customer to do more and more of the transaction online. Right. Um, so I think that's the direction we're going. Enable the customer, empower the customer to do as much of the transaction with the dealer online and before they get there. So that when they arrive to the dealership, they're able to find the car that they want. They're able to have a clean car. They're able to learn the features and functions of that car and really accept delivery from professionals that know how to sell and how to deliver the vehicles. So, Eric, it sounds like what you're saying, a differentiator for dealers that you see is more about the experience that they have and less about price, inventory, some of the more traditional things that we've, you know, that dealers have tended to market themselves on. That, 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 that's a great point. I think what we've seen through this pandemic, right? In the US, we were always scared if you didn't have a 90 day supply of cars uh, in your pipeline and 45 day supply of vehicles on the ground at the dealer, uh, that customers were gonna be impatient and they wouldn't wait. Right? We're seeing customers order vehicles, put down deposits, and wait 45 days in most cases. In some cases, like Telluride, we're three years into selling Telluride. We've had a six-month-plus wait list for that oh, vehicle amazing. Uh, three years. And um, you know, we've increased production capacity, and it's still not meeting the demand of how many people are interested in this product. So customers are learning. Our dealers are learning that the model can be different going forward, where you can do the transaction online. You can make an appointment with the customer. Um, they're willing to make a deposit and to wait for that vehicle. So, Eric, you brought it up, and it's the million-dollar question. <laughs> Where do you see inventory levels heading in the near future? Do you think we'll ever get back to those days of the, the 45, 90-day-plus supply? Or uh, are those days gone? Are those days over? And, and this and is we kind have, of the, the normal operating. We've reached operating. peak inventory, as yeah. we, Wall Street would call it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would like to have one too few, not thousands uh, too few, right? <laughs> uh, but um, no, I, I think, you know, really the industry, I think over the next 12 months, maybe even 24 months is going to struggle on uh, building enough supply for the demand that's out there. There's still constraints on chips and other 
product shortages across the industry. And I even think going forward as we transition to EVs, the technology that's going into that, the materials required for batteries, I think we're going to be short supplied on a lot of vehicles Mm -hmm. for a really long time. I I will tell you, we've been operating on about a five-day supply on the ground at our dealerships. That's not enough. That's uncomfortable for our dealers. That's uncomfortable for our customers. You know, I get a lot of calls from dealers that look out on their lot and say, what am I supposed to tell my sales consultants this month? There's nothing for them to sell. And I have to remind them, I said, you've got a pipeline that you can see 45 or 60 days, start taking deposits and and, uh, start selling those vehicles and, you know, set appointments for those customers to come in. And uh, it's working. Um, I would like to to see closer to a, uh, you know, 30 day supply uh, if possible. But I, I think we're a long ways away from even achieving that. So do you think, you know, the old conventional wisdom was maybe, you know, 45 days supply, you know, for non-domestics, domestics would be a bit higher, right? Trucks and models, mixes push that up a bit. But do you find 30 to be that new sweet spot? If you had your, could wave your magic wand and the Kia dealers would have a certain amount of inventory, would 30 be the number? I I think that would be a great position to be in, right? I mean, we all benefit when we don't overproduce and there's high demand for each of our products that we have, right? And and we'll see. We'll see if there's a point in the future where a manufacturer has more capacity and more chip supply and more of everything to build cars of who breaks, right? Automotive manufacturers make money when they produce and sell cars to dealers. So at some point, somebody's going to produce too many cars and we'll see what that does to upset the balance of the industry. But yeah, if we could operate long-term on a 30-day supply, I think it would be healthy for everybody in the industry. Yeah, so Eric, you mentioned uh, buy-sells, and recently we had Alan Haig on the podcast, who is you know, yeah. the king of buy-sells. <laughs> yep. And that market is just you know continuing to be on fire. I'm curious from the OEM perspective, what is your view on consolidation? Is it is it healthy for the industry? Is it concerning from a manufacturer standpoint? Yeah, and we we uh, we gave Alan a hot take here that uh, we believe there will be a 1,000 store dealer group in the next. He pushed back on in that the next one. five years, and he pushed back on that. He mm. said that'll never happen. Interesting, because of um, because of franchise, uh, you know, mar- uh, what did he call them? Um, framework agreements. Framework agreements. Yep. And yep. Um, do do you see that as the case? Where, you know, is there such thing as a too big uh, dealer group? Well, I, I think consolidation, as you've seen, it, it's really inevitable, right? I mean, the cost to operate. Um, Going forward, I, I think a lot of dealer groups will have to get bigger and centralize some of their operations uh, moving forward to take costs out of the business. Um, you know, we do have framework agreements with a lot of the big dealer groups. You don't want to put all your eggs in one sure. basket, right? right? Yeah. And so we try to make sure that we have um, our franchise network is strong uh, with multiple uh, groups, multiple dealers who own one store or, you know, five stores. But I, I do think that you're going to see some more consolidation in the industry. And I think that's inevitable. Yeah. Well, I mean, our founder, Mr. Moran, always, always used to say a little healthy competition is not a bad thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that keeps everyone honest. But uh, I think it might be time to move into uh, America's favorite segment. <laughs> that might be a stretch. We, you know, we're working on it. I've heard, I've heard about this. It's, it's growing in legend. That's oh, fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you for yeah. saying that. Yeah. So we call this a sure thing. 
uh, our own Elliot Shore here has, uh, as you know, Eric, traveled ups and downs across the automotive landscape, and he has uh, he has some opinions. Yep. And he wants to give a few hot takes. Okay. Segment, and we ask you, Eric, as an industry uh, expert and with a vast amount of experience, to really challenge or validate our Elliot's uh, opinions. So, all right, let's see what you got, Elliot. Let's take it away and give us a, a short right. thing. I, I will tell you, we've covered some of these topics already, so I'm I'm, I'm not exactly feeling great about these short <laughs> things here. As but, you uh, know, I like to keep score. So, uh, uh, Mark does keep score. Let's go. Um, and in a running tally of our podcast <laughs> season two, I am pretty much not, I'm below the Mendoza line. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, yeah, not exactly doing great, but um, all right. So I believe um, EV sales are, are going to take off. And I believe that EV sales will be, and you mentioned 6% in the last few months, I believe they will take up 50% of all car sales. Now I'm evolving my view because I've been way off here, but um, <laughs> I believe it'll be 50% of car sales by the year 2027. So five years from today, sure thing or not a sure thing? I think you're pretty optimistic. So I, <laughs> I'm going um, to put that as an, in the no column, Eric. <laughs> I, I mean, I think our viewpoint, EV sales, I don't think will be there by 2027. I think electrified sales. So when you take in hybrids and plug in hybrids, okay. and, I'm uh, everything you, you can point. do. Yeah, Thank maybe you. half a point, but uh I think the transition is going to take a little bit longer just because of the infrastructure. I think every manufacturer will start to um, introduce products that will help us get there. But I think that tipping point to 50% will probably be 2030 or later. So not too many years off. All right. All okay. right. All right. I'll take a, I'll take a half a point. That's right. You know, um, I'll take it. So, you know, sticking on that uh, EV theme for a second, uh, we, we actually had the opportunity to, to drive a case, uh, you know, an EV6, a Kia EV6. And we were just, you know, we fell in love with the vehicle. Um, and uh, I, I know I enjoyed driving it a lot around here as we, you know, continue to learn about EVs. So much so I enjoyed it that I believe that the EV6 will outsell the Stinger in less than a year. Well, yeah, I think that sure is a thing. sure thing. So all right. <laughs> now, really, I, I think, you know, Stinger's always been a pretty niche vehicle. I think EV6, there's a lot of pent up demand for people to move into EVs. You know, Tesla has dominated this space for so long. So I think yeah. people are looking for an alternative to it. Uh, and EV6 really offers a lot of features and a lot of content, a lot of things of value. I, I've been driving it for a couple of weeks. I'm blown away impressed. It's quiet. It's efficient. Uh, the suspension is great. I actually think the car drives a lot like a Stinger. I have a swooping off ramp to get to my house, and that thing can hug the corner just as well as my Stinger and is fast uh, through it. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to drive. Yeah, not to mention, it's a beautiful looking vehicle. It really it is, is. It is distinct, it, it, uh, and it has a great look to it. It really does. All right, Absolutely. Elliot. That's a that's ooh, a win. Oh, that's, that's one and a half. All right, I'm moving up my average. <laughs> okay, so we talked inventory, so I'm going to skip that one. But okay. um, I did have a belief that inventory levels will never return. But I think we're in agreement there. Yeah, I think we can. Yeah, I hope so. I'm hopeful. Yep. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit for my final sure thing. Um, okay. You know, so um, uh, you're a BYU guy. I am. And, and uh, you know, 
we were doing some research and <laughs> which is also known as Wikipedia. Yeah. And that's <laughs> our, our primary that's source our primary of source information. Of and we found, we came across a list of the best BYU football players of all time. It's a pretty good list. And we started debating that list we a did. little bit. We and did. so I believe that Steve Young is the best BYU football player of all time. However, this list had a different player, number one. And so my hot take here for you is I believe Steve Young is the best BYU football player of all time. Sure thing or not a sure thing? Well, it's, it's hard to disagree with you there, right? I mean, that was my era that I grew up uh, really watching him in the NFL, right? And he had a storied NFL career. So no I'm going to agree with you that that is a sure thing. Any, thank you. Wow. Wow. That was such a softball. It was a softball. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, we're going to have a bonus one. We'll have a bonus one here. By the way, do you think you could predict, do you think you could, who, who was, who do you think this list had as number one? Boy, if it was a college career, maybe Ty Detmer. That's a good, good guess. Good guess. Maybe. But they're, they're considering their pro career here. Okay. It was uh, Jim, McMahon. Jim McMahon. Yes, yeah. you got it. Jim yeah. McMahon. But yeah. I don't know how I've never seen a list put Jim McMahon over Steve Young. No, ever. <laughs> um, but this list sure enough had it. All right. One last one for you. BYU had a very high profile pick in the 2021 draft in Zach Wilson. Yeah. Quarterback for the New York Jets. However, I believe that Zach Wilson will never win a Super Bowl with the Jets ever. Sure thing or not a sure thing? Boy, I, I think Zach Wilson is so talented watching him play. Um, I think you probably have a sure thing in the Jets organization, unfortunately. Yes, I'm sure we just made you. a lot of people in the Northeast angry with us. But uh, yes, but uh, we'll we'll have to deal with the wrath of the uh, the J.E.T.S. and go yeah. Dolphins people. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We appreciate the time today. Uh, that was a lot. Yeah, of fun. Thank you, too. Yes, Eric, you've uh, you've given us a lot to consider and think about for the industry coming forward. And I think Kia dealers should be really excited about the future. Yeah, really exciting for Kia. Yeah, I agree. So thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Take care. Whether you're a dealer owner, general manager in sales or service, or just starting your automotive journey, you're sure to pick up some actionable insight from the Walk Around podcast powered by JMA Group. Be sure to keep listening, keep up with the leaders who are influencing the automotive landscape today. We really appreciate you joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you're listening to. Go ahead and check out jmnagroup.com slash resources. We have a ton of helpful free resources for everyone out there. I'm Elliot Shore. You can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Elliot Shore, S-C-H-O-R. And in the words of the great Dennis Morton, be good out there, but if you can't be good, be careful. <laughs>